What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, folks? Today, we're joined by Ryan Gunn, Director of Demand Gen and Marketing Ops at Aptitude 8. Ryan started his career by getting his feet wet freelancing in design and social media projects. He took on the role of inbound marketing account exec at Boyle Public Affairs, where he got to wear a bunch of different marketing hats, including his first taste of HubSpot. He later became Senior Digital Marketing Manager at WealthForge, a fintech company where he owned marketing automation and lead gen. He then took on the challenge of Head of Marketing at Array, an event technology startup where he built their marketing department from the ground up in less than two years. And today, Ryan works at Aptitude 8, an elite HubSpot partner consultancy where he started in a client-facing consulting role, helping clients with big, hairy migration projects like migrating Marketo and Pardot into HubSpot and a bunch of marketing attribution projects as well. Uh, today, he's Aptitude 8's Director of Demand Gen and Mops, responsible for growing the consultancy's services, business, and brand awareness. Ryan, thanks so much for your time today. Pumped to chat. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm super excited to be on here. I've listened to so many of you guys' podcasts. Nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much. Cool to hear. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, um, look, I want to just jump right into uh, AI and and HubSpot and how you're working with it with clients. You know, for my part, I don't do much in HubSpot anymore. I used to be in HubSpot quite a bit. So I haven't had a chance to test out these new AI tools that are working with HubSpot. Maybe for our listeners, you can just give us a little bit of a primer of what to expect from these tools, what you guys are doing with clients, what's exciting about the future, and you know what's in store for marketers uh, using these tools in HubSpot. Yeah, right now, uh, the two primary tools that HubSpot is is offering within its system built into it are Content Assistant uh, and ChatSpot. Um, so Content Assistant is essentially ChatGPT, but, but built in. You go to like the blog writing tool or the email tool, and you can just have it write a first draft for you. ChatSpot is a little bit more advanced. It's It's actually... A little bit of an external system. It's a separate uh, website, but it is connected to your CRM data. So you can just with natural language, you can prompt it to create a report on, you know, how many deals have we created in the past year broken down by the deal source. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll just generate that stuff. And it's really instead of that kind of drain on uh, marketing operations capacity where you have leadership being like, hey, can you pull me a report on this? Hey, can you pull me a report on that? It's it's going to become much easier for them to just type that into ChatSpot and then the report appears and marketing operations or rep ops can focus on actually doing those jobs. Yeah, ChatSpot sounds super cool. We we had the pleasure of getting uh, Scott Brinker on the show a couple months ago, and uh, we asked him about ChatSpot. And uh, I went pretty deep into uh, Darmesh's video overview when he like first announced it and was super excited about like connecting GPT functionality on top of like tools and systems that you currently use in, in your company and pairing that with like all of the data that you have in HubSpot. And um, yeah, just curious, like the, the customers that you, you work with at, at the agency or the consultancy, 
How, how many folks are actually making use of, of Chatspot? Like, have you seen that growing a little bit over time or is it still kind of like, yeah, folks like aren't really getting it yet? Like, just curious your take there. Right now, both of these tools, I, I say are, I'd say are pretty early on in their development. We haven't had um, a ton of, at least us implementing this type of stuff for people. Uh, I'm sure that we have clients who are playing around with it themselves, just because that's the type of of people that we're working with. That that's the the type of curiosity that they have. But I don't see a ton of people actually like integrating it into their business processes because the tools just aren't mature enough yet. Mm-hmm. But I think HubSpot is, has been an early mover on this stuff, and it's an indicator of what is to come and how they are thinking about building a CRM that's not just, you know, these are the basic CRM tools we are offering, but layering AI on top of it. Uh, And HubSpot's actually released their um, roadmap for AI products, and they are building it into everything. They've got a reporting assistant, an automation assistant, a website, uh, an AI powered website builder, just every single thing that you touch in HubSpot is going to have some sort of AI powered uh, element to it. Very cool. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a, a fast mover in in this space for sure. Uh, we've chatted with a few founders uh, and uh, like tech founders on the show that uh, are like a bit slower in the approach, and um, they're some of them are actually like interestingly purposely not adding AI features in their products yet. Uh, admittedly, you know, like they're they're not AI experts, and by the time they would take to build something moderately useful in their products. OpenAI would probably have released two new versions, blowing their capability kind of out, out of the water. So like, I'm, I'm curious, like your your take there, like uh, some of the folks that are kind of building in this space there, like obviously everyone's kind of excited about the advancements here, but um, you know, how is it too early for, for a lot of these folks? It's definitely early, but it's moving so fast that it's, yeah. it's hard to say. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like six months ago, none of us were doing anything with AI. And now, I don't know about you guys, but I am using it literally every single day. Like it is an essential part of my work stream. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when ChatGPT goes down, I'm just like, shit, like what am I doing with my time right now? (laughs) Yeah, so when when software developers are thinking about things now and whether or not they should incorporate it, I mean, there's there's two options. Either they can uh, choose to not do it and maybe like allow their software to integrate with something else and let users do it through like Zapier or something else, or they can hire people that do have expertise and they can start building it in. And I think when they're making that decision, they've got to think about kind of that, that idea of whether they want to be a a platform or like a point solution and, there are benefits to both. I mean, they can, if they want to just really focus on like what they do well and let users get creative with how they integrate it with AI, then that's that's definitely an option. But I think if they're going to do that, then they have to find like a, a real niche and be mm-hmm. the best at that. Because otherwise, something like HubSpot is going to just take their features and pop it into their CRM and they are going to have some AI functionality built into it and it's just going to be easier. It's not necessarily going to be better, but it's going to, it's 
you know, be built into something people are already paying for. It's a really interesting trend, I think, that's going to kind of emerge. Like as you were talking about some of the features of HubSpot, I was going through my head thinking, okay, so as an implementer, what are the things that you need to put in place to get the most out of the AI tools themselves? Um, from your perspective, like, you know, we're seeing the adoption of these tools come up like in huge rises, but then kind of fall off a little bit as the hype cycle comes out. We're talking about some of the features in HubSpot, like ChatSpot, like natural language processing to do automation. What are the things on the ground, like from an implementation perspective that people in their HubSpot instance or CRM should be thinking about, like tuning up data to, to really enable this next wave as they start to adopt this and move this into their business process? I think making sure that the structure of your data is sound is absolutely essential. Because when it comes to AI, whatever data you feed it is what you're going to get out of it. If you feed it bad data, you're going to have a bad experience with AI. But if you have a good structure and your data is clean, then you're going to get a, a lot of utility out of it. You're going to be able to do a lot more with it. It's it's just like reporting is today. You know, you have tons of companies that are like, oh, I don't trust my reporting. My reporting mm -hmm. is trash. This report doesn't say what I think it should. And it's because they have bad data or they have beta, bad data structure. And it's not that the reporting tool is bad. It's that the, the data is bad. The same thing's going to happen with AI. Mm -hmm. And another kind of component that I think is interesting, which I'd like your comment on is like, you mentioned the con consolidation of the tech within a platform like HubSpot, like HubSpot has obviously the advantage of, you know, being able to fund these investments, but they also have the, the advantage of having all the data and system, right? The CRM, the marketing data combined, like it actually kind of becomes like this snowball effect where you're better off putting it all into one system. Do you, th what do you think the effects will be around consolidation of these tools with like AI add-ons taking, you know, small market players out of, out of the market and the marketing technology landscape? I think, like I said before, it's, it, you're either going to have to be a niche solution or you're going to get taken out by by the big players. Mm -hmm. Um HubSpot is is easily going to take over anybody that's not like an industry or a vertical specific point solution that it just wouldn't make financial sense for them to just pop that feature up because it's such a small fraction mm -hmm. of their uh customer base. We're we're seeing this right now um on the services side of things where more and more uh, clients are coming to us asking us as a, a services company if we have experience in a specific industry or with a specific uh, vertical or use case because they they're sick of the like giant agencies that say that they do everything and actually don't do anything really really well uh, so they're looking for that specificity so we we are trying to uh, deliver some of that and I think it's going to be the same with with tech companies. HubSpot is going to be the one that is going to do everything, but maybe not, you know, everything for every industry really well. Whereas these individual point solutions will will be able to actually deliver to a specific industry and serve their needs, and that's how they can differentiate differentiate themselves.
Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting like debate that we see in the space. Like we we went down this like rabbit hole on uh, customer data platforms and the whole like composable versus package debate. And I think that there's like an even like higher level debate when it comes to just like Martech, like composable versus packaged Martech. And I think HubSpot is a great example of a packaged Martech solution that is an all-in-one tool and maybe like they specialize in, in some verticals a little bit more more than others but like they've got a cms like they're replacing like drupal and and wordpress they have like a lot of seo capabilities they're replacing a lot of wordpress plugins and like different tools there they've got the crm the automation tool the forms like like you could literally come up with like seven or eight different point solutions to come up with like a HubSpot, like total package solution there. And I'm curious, like as like a, a HubSpot partner, uh, obviously you guys are like a, a bit biased here, but you wrote about how companies that use both the HubSpot and uh, Salesforce.com should potentially like consider consolidating everything in HubSpot, uh, exactly like you were talking about. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on like this idea of the industry moving towards composability versus like this all-in-one packaged uh, solution of platforms. And maybe you can touch on, because like this is kind of related to your your previous point too, like HubSpot is more like the packaged MarTech vendor, but you guys are like positioning yourselves a little bit more as like a point solutions a service company where you specialize in HubSpot. And I'm curious, like internally, have you guys thought about like this dichotomy between like being the single vendor expert in HubSpot versus being more, a bit more tool agnostic and kind of a two-parter question for you there, Ryan. Yeah, I, I totally hear you on the HubSpot being a, a total packaged system. I mean, I, I think of HubSpot as like the Apple of Martech, you're 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 in the ecosystem. You know, if you yeah. have your iPhone and your AirPods <laughs> and your MacBook, it all just works so well together that you you don't want to branch out and and you know get a different set of headphones that maybe is a little bit better, but it like doesn't sync with your other stuff quite as smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the when it comes to like the consolidation question. The difference is that that between you know HubSpot and an Apple is that HubSpot is so, has become so extendable. It's released so many features that allow you to customize it in so many ways. We're talking like custom objects, CRM cards, um, all of the like custom code stuff that came with Operations Hub that is starting to allow you to to really make it into what you want it to be, where you can actually start to create some of these point solutions within and on top of HubSpot instead mm-hmm. of investing in these other things. And that's that's kind of the direction that we are pushing from a, a services perspective. Um, I do want to push back a little bit on us. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we are tool agnostic necessarily. We definitely have a focus on HubSpot. But we, I would say we are happy uh, to service any tool that interacts with HubSpot. Gotcha. Um, so we have plenty of expertise when it comes to Salesforce or uh, Zoom Info, uh, really anything, any of those other tools that integrate with HubSpot or, or commonly work with HubSpot, um, we are well-versed in. And and I think those are important because 
there's a lot of use cases that even with that those extensibility tools, you're you're not going to want to just build it on top. You're going to want to use that separate tool. Yeah, no, I love the stance there. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely plenty of business to go around with just like spending a bit of time in in the HubSpot ecosystem. And I think that like one thing that makes this whole discussion interesting is around the question of like attribution and data, like when. That like most of the industry, like from from what we've seen, like chatting with experts in the space, like a lot of the industry is moving towards this idea of having the data warehouse as the source of truth when it comes to customer data across the company, whether it's the finance team, the revenue team, like the customer support team, whatever, like they're using ETL processes to collect that data across different business tools, including HubSpot, including like whatever they're using on the customer support side, whatever the finance team is using to like send out bills to customers. And then they're using reverse ETL tools to push that data to, to other tools, right? But when we talk about like ChatSpot and this idea of getting as much data in HubSpot as possible, like consolidating that Salesforce.com component and putting that in HubSpot, like do you do you think that like the two ideas are competing a little bit? Like, do you think at some point, like on that roadmap, HubSpot is just gonna have like a, a cloud data warehouse component there because like if we're talking about making the most use out of ChatSpot and like being able to query things about all customer data today, like depending on the customer, like most people don't have all of their customer data in HubSpot. Like it's going to live in some of these other tools that HubSpot doesn't yet have like a, a solution for. So I'm curious there, like, do you think that the, sorry, the data warehouse, like source of truth is competing with this idea of like HubSpot CRM being the source of truth? I, I've got two separate answers to that. Okay. Uh, one on the AI front, I think that you're going to start seeing those data warehouses start to introduce AI tools and they're going to have their own version of ChatSpot. And you're going to be able to query all of your customer data from all of your systems that are putting data into the data warehouse using those tools. Uh, I don't think that HubSpot is really built to be a data warehouse. It's it's not designed that way. It doesn't do it very well. Um, it does a lot of things really well. And I think key among those is usability. It's it's super, super user-friendly. It's really fast to onboard people, people into. Um, and because of that, people really like using it. The problem you run into is when you have all these other systems that people need to like use multiple systems for a single task. Uh, and that's inefficient. You end up like losing data when people are like manually transcribing stuff if it's not well integrated. And the the solution that we are are using for that and and really starting to implement a lot for clients is CRM cards, where you are able to, to retrieve this data and access this data and action this data that's not stored in HubSpot, but without leaving HubSpot. So it's built into your, you know, your contact record. And it's just a card there you can interact with um, or your deal record. One of the, the ones that comes up all the time is inventory management mm -hmm. uh, or CPQ. So you're you're on a deal record. And you need to to build out a bunch of line items and the prices of those things or the 
amounts of of the line items are constantly changing. You have limited amounts. So you need to go to your ERP to check and see how much of this do I have? What's the current price of it? Uh, and by the time you go and look at it and copy and paste the numbers into HubSpot, into your deal, it's changed and the number has gone down and actually you've oversold. So that's that's causing all kinds of problems. With a CRM card, you're just building it all on that card. It's in real time connecting with your ERP, telling you how much there is. You're adding it to the deal. It's updating the deal record, uh, the deal amount. Um, and it works incredibly efficiently because you you never have to leave the HubSpot deal record. But it's it's none of that data lives within HubSpot. So I think, like I said, two-part answer, HubSpot should not be your data warehouse, but you should be able to access that data in HubSpot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, something that kind of, you know, keyed off of what you were saying in, in recent history, I've uh, recently helped a lot of clients of my own migrate off of Universal Analytics to Google Analytics 4. And one of the big things that I took away from that process and the change in the technology, I don't know how up to speed you are on, on the differences between the two platforms, but a big takeaway that I had was that GA4 is really about a data collection platform, right? Like it's bringing data in. And as we're talking about like attribution and we're talking about prepping for AI, I see marketing operations tools operating in much the same way, right? Like the idea of a HubSpot, like from an operations perspective is an excellent data collection tool. It's at the front end of collecting form data, and then it's bringing it out to these additional, you know, warehouses and feeding it to these, these different places. In terms of like folks who are listening to the podcast thinking, you know, I want to be in your shoes. I want to be a HubSpot implementer. I want to be, you know, digging into this. Like what operational challenges do you think exist today uh, that didn't exist five years ago? that people should be thinking about, um, you know, in terms of data management and collection? That's a really interesting question. Um, this is, this is so wild because when I, when I started using HubSpot, they, they had just released the CMS hub. So before it was just the marketing hub, they didn't even call it marketing hub. It was mm-hmm. just HubSpot. Uh, then they released CMS. Um, Sales hub uh, came around. So the, the the ecosystem has gotten like wildly more complex uh, than it was. J- just the HubSpot ecosystem, not to mention the marketing and sales technology ecosystem. <laughs> so like back then, I wasn't even thinking about attribution uh, UTMs, all that stuff. I probably should have been, um, but the, so it, it's gone all the way from like me, not even thinking about that stuff to me thinking about it and trying to figure out like, okay, people are filling out all these forms. How do I like track all that stuff and figure out what's driving revenue to now? Like, Oh, nobody wants to fill out forms. Cookies are going away. <laughs> we are losing like first party and third party data left and right. Um, so especially when you're thinking about attribution, it's it's becoming harder and harder to get a a precise picture of what's happening. And I think you need to look at the data more as a directional indicator than a like a true compass. 
that's a that's a bad metaphor because a compass is a directional indicator but like a a like a a source of truth where you're saying it's it's this exact amount of money mm-hmm. that is attributed to this campaign because if you're trying to like capture every data point one that's impossible you're going to miss all of the like dark social stuff anything <laughs> that's happening in a slack channel uh you know every everybody has seen chris walker talk about this stuff on linkedin <laughs> because he posts a video every 4 minutes <laughs> It's it's more than that. It's it's even if you could like that's not a good use of your time. It's not it's yeah. it would be so much work to maintain. Uh, and it's it would be such a resource drain that it, it wouldn't be worth the amount of money that you're realizing that you're making. Yeah. So instead, like you you can collect what is reasonable for you to collect. If you're a really small business and you have a one person marketing team or a two-person marketing team, maybe that's just self-attribution and you just have the, how did you hear about us? Um, if you're a little bigger, you can start to, you know, use some of HubSpot's campaigns and, and UTM tracking. Uh, if you're getting really big, you can, and you've got like a full marketing operations team that can kind of be dedicated to maintaining all this stuff. You can do like some full custom attribution where you're looking at you know multi-touch all that stuff but any way you do it i think you have to look at it as a directional indicator and not not as roi mm-hmm. yeah love what you said there ryan uh i totally agree uh it's a a directional but imperfect uh <laughs> and far from being a, a precise science right like i've gone down those rabbit holes like multiple times in, in smaller startup companies because like as much as it is easy for us to say like yeah like who should be focusing on on other things like we're a small team like the the founders and, and the c-level folks are still always just like well like we're spending all this money on this marketing team and and it's martech stack like what how are you impacting revenue like what what is the impact of this like blog post that you just did and you know like oh well like we're doing self attribution right now or self report attribution and like maybe one day we'll look at like last touch or like it and it gets like so confusing right but i'm curious like it like in terms of like actually implementing this stuff like working with clients like picking a model is one thing, like you walked us through, like based on the size and, and like the focus areas, like what advice do you have for marketers to just like get started here? Um, in one of your posts, you actually mentioned that like if you use HubSpot, reporting on attribution is relatively simple. Uh, simply navigate to like the report section, select the create custom report link you know, on the attribution side. And I think we can all agree though that like most uh, customers don't have this like perfect instance of, of HubSpot marketing plus CRM that's perfectly connected to like paid ads data and your revenue data on the other end with like all that deal stuff coming in. So like, do you think that like every HubSpot customer should focus on getting as much data into HubSpot and have that as like as close to being like the the, the source of truth when it comes to at least like attributing like marketing uh, investments? No, I, I don't think that you should just <laughs> cram HubSpot full of data uh, because it's it's going to get it's going to get so messy and then inevitably you're going to have one person that knows how it all works and then that person's going to leave 
And then the next person's going to come in and be like, oh, my God, what is this spaghetti mess <laughs> of data? Everything's connected, but it doesn't go anywhere. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's I think it's really you have to focus on what. Kind of what's the the minimum viable product of mm -hmm. the data I need to make decisions Uh and that can change over time. You you may realize you need more or less data. Um, but I think when when I say that it's it's quote unquote relatively easy to create uh, attribution reports, I think what what I'm pointing to there is if you create a a deal based uh, custom report in HubSpot, you can tie any property on the deal record to revenue. Uh, and there's there's an action in HubSpot workflows where you can create a deal uh, from a contact. So th this, is, this is how I always recommend that clients do it. Instead of having a salesperson manually create a deal by clicking create new deal, uh, you do it from a contact. You, you have a workflow that is triggered somehow. It could just be like, checking a checkbox property on the contact record. It could be something more advanced where you're going through like a qualification process. But somehow a deal is created through a workflow. And in that create a deal action, you can copy any property from the contact record to the deal record. And using that data, you can then create reports uh, that tie that data to revenue. And the beauty of it is it captures it at the time of deal creation. So one of the things HubSpot's really not built for is storing data that happens over time. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we're thinking about, um, you know, if, if it's hard to see like a timeline of every single form that a contact is filled out and how that's related to lifecycle stage changes or deal creation. But what you can do is at the time of deal creation, copy over the last form they filled out. And then that is preserved on the deal record. And it may change on the contact record. Next time they may fill out another form the next day, that data is going to be erased. Uh, but it's, it's always going to be there on the deal record. So you can see this is the last form someone filled out before the deal was created. So that that like single action within workflows is, I think, the single most powerful attribution tool that HubSpot offers. And it it does once you like realize that and you start creating corresponding properties between the contact and deal record, it does make it relatively easy to create attribution reports that at least give you some semblance of data of these actions tie to this revenue. Love it. I love I love the the practical tips that you're yeah. that you give here you're dropping in this like as a HubSpot user I'm like I'm like making tons of notes in my head. <laughs> um you know a few years ago I actually moved from Marketo into HubSpot my first time in HubSpot I was like oh this is a great tool like I really enjoyed it and having that Marketo background helped me kind of d dive into into HubSpot. Um you wrote an article talking about 36 custom properties you should be using for attribution in HubSpot. 
But that got me digging into your LinkedIn a little bit and I started looking at some of the posts that you make. And like you make tons of great practical posts on like how to use HubSpot. And like I think a lot of folks who who are listening, if you're using HubSpot, like you you should definitely go follow follow Ryan and and see what what you're producing. Like there's some really great tips in there, things that I'm learning. And the comment section on some of these things are actually really fire too. But I wanted to kind of pull this out. I was going to ask you a question about attribution, but I want to take a curveball a little bit. I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about like the ideal pathway. And I know there's no ideal, but like if you were able to go back and, you know, teach yourself HubSpot or give yourself the skill sets for a HubSpot, like what would be the journey that you would take? What would you recommend to to folks? And like, I'm saying this as somebody who took all the HubSpot certifications and I threw them out the window the second I went to a live client. Like I know live <laughs> clients change everything. Like I'm, I want the substance of, of this and a little bit of a curveball, but I think your LinkedIn post really got me motivated around this. Like there's some practical stuff that I think you can share. Yeah, the the biggest eye opener for me, and this just happened within the last year, uh, and I've been using HubSpot for almost a decade, but I realized that anybody can create a uh, a developer account and you get access to a developer portal that has all of the enterprise tools and you can just mess around with it. <clears throat> so then once you have access to that, hop onto LinkedIn, hop into communities, see what questions people are asking, and then just try and solve them. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of my content comes from is just, I'll be poking around, I'll see someone ask a question, I'll be like, huh, I wonder if I can do that. And then I'll go into that dev portal, I've got all of the available tools. And I can see, you know, how do I do this? How can I make this work? Can I make it work with only the pro tools? Can I do it with enterprise tools? Um, and being able to actually get hands-on with it is so, so much more valuable than just taking those HubSpot certifications, which are great. I love mm -hmm. them. I am constantly taking those and refreshing my knowledge on those. But like you said, it is a vastly different animal uh, being in a real world situation with a client or asking, you know, having people ask questions. And I think that's where that LinkedIn and community stuff comes in because that's that's closer to that mm -hmm. real world client experience it's it is a real person asking a question about something they're having a problem with love it yeah great answer there i think that yeah i'll agree that your 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 linkedin feed is 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 filled with with practical tips like i was um I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it like recently, like one of the comments uh, and it's not just like your post, like it's you commenting on, on other stuff too. Like I think Mike Rizzo had a really good post where he was like suggesting this one tip on a workflow and you were like, aha, but wait one second, like HubSpot only stores that data up to a certain number of records. And then after that, you can't add new records there. So instead you should consider doing this. And a bunch of people were just like, what? Like, I never heard of that. And that's like the intricacies of just like being an expert in one platform. And like, that's a debate I've had like throughout my career. And I have with some of the mentees that I have is just like, like, should you become a specialist in a single MarTech tool or like try to wear a bunch of different hats and like mix it up and go to a different company that's that's using a different tool. Like I started my career in Pardot um, and 
I spent like four years in Pardot and then I started working with, uh, with John at Clipfolio and I moved over to Marketo and then I moved over to close and we're using customer IO and my current company now we're using iterable. And I got a taste of like a bunch of different tools throughout the process, but Today, like I'm, I'm no longer really an expert in in any of those tools. Like I, I couldn't like jump into comments and like give the intricacies that you are able to in in HubSpot. So, I'm curious, like, is that like kind of where you see marketing teams graduating to needing to hire a services company to really be that expert in the tool? Like when you've got a small team and you're spending a lot of money and investing in a HubSpot or in in an iterable, like, is it reasonable to assume that like the person that's working in-house is going to become an expert in that tool? Or should you just really be like making the most out of your investment and going to a services agency, working with someone like Ryan, who's got a decade plus career in HubSpot and like, is going to save not only a bunch of time, but like costly mistakes, by just like knowing some of this shit ahead of time. So <clears throat> I don't think it's necessarily hi- hiring a Ryan. I think it's hiring a bunch of Ryans. And by that, I mean hiring someone like Aptitude 8 because this Ryan is by far from the smartest person at <laughs> Aptitude 8. And I can't even take credit for that that comment that I made on Mike Rizzo's post <laughs> because I only knew that because of like eight other people Very that cool. were in my company chat that had told me that over you know various different times. Um, I think the really hard part, like having been an in-house marketing person and marketing ops person, the hardest part is you are so busy putting out fires that you don't have time to keep up with all of the updates that are happening to the product. And HubSpot is dropping like a beta a day. So it's unreasonable. Like I can't do it now working at a consultancy where I have people telling me all the time what all the new updates are. So the benefit of hiring a services company is not just the direct uh, delivery team that you're working with, the you know two or three people that you see when you're on your calls. It is the collective knowledge that the company has. If you could see our Slack channel, when someone has a client problem that they can't figure out, and they just drop it in the chat. And all of a sudden, it's like a machine gun of messages from all over the company where people are saying like, have you tried this? You should try this. There's this new beta that can do this. Maybe this would work. Oh, this feature actually doesn't work the way that it should. You need to do this to work around it. It is wild. It is it is so incredible to see just the knowledge flowing into uh, the chat in real time and solving these problems. And that's something that an in-house person is never going to be able to compete with. Something else I've noticed that from the consulting perspective, and I want your your comments on as well, is is change management is a real pain in the ass. And like marketing operations now is mature enough that people who have set up the processes have now moved on to other places. And like coming back in and backfilling these roles is is really challenging, right? And so having like a agency of record on on staff, even if they're not the principal, having them like in the background, you actually end up having longevity with them that you you can't get with in house. I mean, this is an argument that I make sometimes to to prospects, but I'm curious what you guys think about that and see in terms of change management. Like, it's a huge issue in Martech, in my opinion, um, keeping these systems moving. 
Yeah, one of the things that we put pretty heavy emphasis on is documentation. Uh, because when we, one, we just want our, we don't expect our clients to be with us forever. And when we hand off uh, a project or a retainer back to the client, we want them to be able to operate their HubSpot instance effectively. We don't want that uh, that kind of spaghetti moment where they're looking at it and they don't understand what's mm -hmm. going on. So as we are building stuff, we are documenting it, we're creating looms, we are creating uh, actual like spreadsheets or Word documents that explain how things work. Um, so that's something that very rarely happens in-house just because there's not really a, a motivation to do that. But the the added benefit of that is internally, if if we have to change out delivery teams, we can really easily roll a new person onto an account. And that doesn't happen super often. Uh, you know, if we have a long running retainer, maybe we'll do it once every six months. Um, but that's it it makes it so much easier when you have all that documentation, when you have a project management system that's set up well where you can see here are all the tasks that we've completed. Here's all of the stuff that we've done is like put into ClickUp and it's all built in there. Here are the things that we have upcoming and all of the tasks are specced and built out. And um, it's it's so much easier of a transition than your typical like firing and hiring process or, mm -hmm. or whatever that transition is for an, an internal employee where you typically have someone rolling off of a job over the course of two weeks mm -hmm. and then some amount of gap and then someone else coming on and mm -hmm. there's no documentation in that gap. Who knows what falls between the cracks, yeah. all this stuff that someone was doing just because they were keeping it in their head and remembering, Oh, I have to do this every Tuesday uh, that that falls off and it doesn't get picked up until someone realizes that it's, not happening because something is broken. Mm -hmm. This has been my life with uh, Google Analytics 4 and everybody <laughs> discovering the ghosts of marketers past and Google Tag <laughs> Manager. Like, who is this person? And they're like, they were hired three years ago and they, or they left three years ago. We're like, nobody's been in Tag Manager for three years. Radio. <laughs> um, oh, my, my favorite is uh, when I've, in the past, when I've started a new job, gone into HubSpot and found workflows that are like firing emails that have old logos from before oh, yeah. a rebrand and like a signature with an employee that hasn't worked there in five years, <laughs> stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's stories. almost like we should have this unwritten rule where if you work in marketing ops in, in tools like HubSpot and you leave this job it's not a two-week transition and if it is like you're spending a full week just doing documentation that you haven't done yet and like it's really only the, the only time that like you have the dedicated amount of like free time to do the documentation like that's the the struggle of startups right and, and even like bigger companies too like there's the work that you need to do and the requests and then there's like the documentation about how to make life easier for new people that you onboard after you're like offboarding yourself. But yeah, it's something that I've like continuously struggled in, in my career is like just like 
dedicating time to like, all right, like we just built out this new process here. Like we're celebrating it. It's a good thing, but like, let's document it. Like let, we use notion at my current company. It's like our internal wiki. And we have like basically a document created every time we do something new in, in iterable. And we have like pictures. And if like we're onboarding someone new to the team, I need to do less of like this, like FaceTime, like tutorial screen sharing about how this thing works. And if I'm doing that, like I want to record it, I want to post it in this like wiki so that the next person doesn't have to like go through this synchronously and can just like learn this on their own time. But if I leave the company, like the next person taking over my gig, like at least they understand like what I was thinking of when I was building that. But yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> easier said than done right yeah that's that's so valuable and it's it's something that i should do more in my role uh it's at my company we are very good at it especially on the client side but also our our vp of people operations is a superhero megan o'connor when i started the job <clears throat> you know typically your first day on the job you're like okay i have my computer i don't really know what i'm doing someone like tell me what i need access to some things you just like don't find out that you actually need until you're like a month into the job because someone was like oh you don't have access to this <laughs> when i started at aptitude aptitude 8 logged into my email and i had like all of the logins that i needed there i had access to clickup which had like an onboarding list in each of those tasks was a video from megan being like Here's how you need to set up Slack. These are the settings that you should check. This is how we use this. These are the channels that like we use for these things. And she did that for like every single piece of software that we use regularly, just wildly helpful in terms of getting me up to speed. And it's all it's all recorded. She she told me that she used to do one-on-ones and just do like that as a brain dump uh on people's first day, but the benefit of having it recorded is you can go back to it. Like that's so much information for your first day. It's, it's funneling Niagara falls through a coffee straw. <laughs> so it's being, having it recorded, having it bite-sized, like so, so valuable. Yeah. Super badass. Well, and how often is um like, this is broken is actually just a, a matter of, you don't know, understand how it works and in HubSpot <laughs> land and in marketing operations, like there's a lot of complexity that can happen if you're not uh, paying close attention or understand what's going on behind, uh, behind the scenes. And dependencies. Like I, I really wish that there was something that would give me like some sort of trigger or pop-up when you change one thing, just tell me like, when you change this, you also need to change yeah. these five other things because they're all dependent on one one another. Yeah, it, this isn't like the perfect solution to this, but like like comparing this to like what like software developers do, like they use GitHub and whenever they're making a change to like the core code, there's like a revision history there. Like someone needs to like approve that change and there's like a history backlog and you can just like look at the log of changes and reasonings and like comments on why someone did that. Like that would be super sweet. Like I, there was an open source MarTech tool that was kind of doing this like Modic back in the day they were acquired and they're not really doing that anymore, but that would be super sweet if like your MarTech tool would allow you to see like the log of every single user changes and forcing people to like add comments on like why they did a certain change, like maybe doing it for like a certain like 
uh, level of change and not for like every single change, but that would be a, a dream scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, Ryan. This has been a super fun chat. Um, uh, yeah, the the time has flown by, and we crushed our our questions. There, really appreciate your time. Uh, we uh, we asked this question to all of our guests at the end of the episode. Uh, your dog dad, husband, director, an up and coming LinkedIn influencer with all your videos and practical tips. You're also a gamer, a movie fanatic, and an at home mixologist. Clearly, you've got a lot going on. We asked this question to all of our guests. How do you remain happy and successful in your career? And how do you find balance between all the things you're working on while staying happy? I think balance is really the, the key word there. Uh, you got to make time for for all of it. I mean, you, you, you can't. You got to sleep. You got to work. You got to do all that <laughs> stuff. But you have to just make sure you're not you're not dipping too far in one direction or another. I've definitely had times in my life where I've like really, really dove hard into work and ended up burning myself out and that it carries over. It ended up, you know, causing physical injuries, stuff like that. And, and you got to reel it in you got to make sure I think exercise is key uh, that that has to be there in the balance. Um, but make sure you're having fun, make sure you're sleeping and uh, make sure you're getting outside every once in a while. Love it. Great tips. Uh, honest advice there. Uh, stuff that I should be doing a bit more myself. <laughs> cool. Awesome, Ryan. Thanks so much for your time. Anything you want to plug the audience before we go? Like, obviously, we'll share links to your LinkedIn. I think anyone using HubSpot or even like uh, across MarTech tools like uh, needs to follow you and uh, and check out your videos. But anything you want to plug? Yeah, actually, I think by the time this airs, Aptitude 8 should be launching its own podcast. Nice. Uh, so this is going to be a, an AI-focused podcast. Uh, it's cool. going to be called Go to Market with AI, uh, hosted by Connor Jeffers. Uh, I'm going to be producing it, uh, looking, f creating questions, finding guests, but it's going to be Connor interviewing go-to-market leaders on how they're using AI to scale their their operations very cool so keep, yeah keep keep an eye out for that um we will be on all of the major podcast platforms super sweet yeah looking forward to checking that out and happy to share tips on the production side of things uh yeah definitely a lot of behind the scenes that that happens uh, on a podcast yeah yeah please do i'm i'm definitely going to be hitting you up sounds good thanks again ryan really appreciate your time yeah thank you